Good afternoon, good evening, good met. My name's Coop and welcome to the Spoken Metal Show. This episode is with my friend Shay McGowan, an actor, a producer, director, guitar player, and above all anything else, he's a metalhead. And so it's been nice to kind of speak to these people that's not necessarily involved within the music industry, but also outside of the music industry who have a huge love for metal and how that kind of sort of moves within their lives as well. I thought that might be an interesting kind of slant. I was trying to give a nice bit of balance with the Spoken Metal Show with some people who are dipped in metal and uh, and, and within the whole industry and the whole world and people who are not, but still love metal music and it kind of infers what they do within their life. And I hope that you, dear listener, are listening and enjoying these these things. It's a difficult time at the moment. We're in a lockdown, as, as we all know, and it's kind of difficult to find entertainment and stuff and things that you enjoy and there's a lot of noise out there there's a lot of sort of things watch this listen to this here's a here's top 10 albums by so and so is the thing you should listen to is my youtube video is my stream is that so there's a lot of noise out there so i really do appreciate when you sit and listen to to, to the show and, and and as a lot of people uh, people have been doing they've been getting back to me with messages and stuff which is really it's very cool it's a very cool thing to, to have happen and realistically, I mean, I guess the only way we kind of beat the algorithm, if you will, in so much as that we we kind of help people get listen to the show that you think maybe will enjoy it is to invite them on Facebook and stuff to like the show and share and subscribe and comment and all that thing. And just basically communicate it in, in, in around the show is the way we kind of find people who want to listen to the show. If you enjoy the show, there may be other people out there that will also enjoy the show. And that's really kind of what I've trying to do here it's never going to be a, a billion listeners type of thing and it was never really about the numbers i i'm just really glad the people are out there listening and enjoying it and if anything it's a document of a conversation between some friends and some people i like and i find them interesting i hope that you all find them interesting too and if you do like i say comment subscribe share invite to people invite to all your friends to listen to it and see what they think as well I'm really grateful that I get the opportunity to speak to some of these people and they kind of share these wonderful stories. But anything else is is a bonus. So if there's a lot of listeners, that's great too. If there isn't, then okay, that that that's fine also. So let's get straight into it. Um, uh, let's get straight on uh, onto the conversation interview between myself and Seamus McGowan. So, ladies and gentlemen, today we have a, a really a really nice guest, someone who I'd met previously I didn't realise was a metalhead, and then only recently, like well, we. Because we got to know each other, I was like, "Oh shit!" The guy likes the guy likes uh, uh, the guy likes metal, and so I figured that you know it might be the best thing in the world to sit down with this gentleman because one of the things that we'll we'll kind of go into in, in, the, in the shows that we've had previous and the ones coming up is we talk to people who have a huge love for metal, but also do something kind of almost outside of the metal spectrum, maybe to a certain degree. So, so it's it's great to sit down with, with Seamus McGowan. Um, how are we doing today? Hey, I'm Mark. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Um, <laughs> just been uh, just been busy at the moment with the, all the crazy stuff that's going on at the moment, all the COVID nineteen business. Yeah. But um, just been just been keeping myself busy and stuff in terms of uh, music and um, like just writing scripts and stuff. Like, how about Cause, yourself? Because yeah, you 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 wear a lot of hats, don't you? Uh, I mean, when we put this up, it'll be that you're a, a producer, director, actor, you're a musician as well, and and like you're saying, you're writing scripts and we'll. We'll get into that, but you've got a, a lot of hats there, haven't you? You know. Yeah, and, uh, you could say I've got a lot of strings in me bow. Like, uh, yeah. just put me, put me, uh, me eggs in different baskets. Yeah, it's the way it should be. I, I fully believe everybody should do as much as they can in in, in all kinds of different avenues, and we'll get into that mm. a little bit, a little bit later. 
But I suppose the best place we always start is kind of because I didn't even know you're into metal and real kind of like some extreme stuff and some oh, some yeah. of underground as well, like you know, to the uninitiated metal crowd. Oh, um, so what was your kind of in route to, to to metal and music itself? Where was your kind of on route for that? Well, funny enough, when I was um, 13, I was uh, I was uh, in, in the car with my dad. We were driving along, um, like picking someone up from Kirby on the way, a relative. And um, the first ever record that I heard that was very metal was um, Enter Sandman by Metallica. And when I was sure. listening to it, I thought to myself, oh, this, this sounds good, this sounds <laughs> really good. But it was very heavy. It was like the yeah. first time that I heard heavy music uh, around yeah. that age. And then as I got as I got older in my school years, 14 and 15, I started to listen to the likes of... Uh, like seventies uh, rock, like Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, and Black Sabbath. But I thought yeah. um, they were they were quite at, at the time they were like kind of my limit. But then I wanted to get into like the, the, the heavier stuff. I got into mm-hmm. Iron Maiden very quickly, and then I got into the likes of Metallica and Megadeth very quickly. And then I started to branch out when I was uh, sixteen. I started to listen to the likes of uh, Cannibal Corpse and and Slayer, and mm-hmm. thought myself, "Oh my God, this is it! This, uh, <laughs> no, this really is heavy." Yeah. Yeah. And, I started, uh, I started playing guitar around that year, like when I was 15. But uh, the, first, the first influence, the first guy that got me into playing guitar was uh, Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin. I liked a lot of, a lot of his riffs and because yeah. he was like the second top rated guitarist in the world during that time or like in the rock dictionary. I thought, <laughs> uh, I want to listen to his type of stuff. I want to try and yeah. feel like him in a, in a sense. But come sixth form, I started listening to the likes of uh, plays like Joe Sassiani or like mainly Steve Viner, Ingve Malmsteen, yeah. like all the sure. shred type stuff. Yeah, that's like they're, they're my guys. Like Vi, I, people must get sick of me talking about Vi on this podcast. <laughs> I always talk about him. Like I, I should get him on. I should get him on. I should get Thomas Nordig. I know Thomas is his guitar tech. I should get Thomas on. Everybody's got nothing to fucking do, so I should get these people on. It's interesting <laughs> that you say you kind of when you went to sixth form is when you kind of you kind of branched out a little bit with what you were listening to. Is that because other people would come to you and go, "Fucking, you think that's heavy? Listen to Hammer Smash." face by cannibal oh. corpse listen to it you know what i mean it was that how yeah. it happened did people kind of talk to you about it and say Yo, you gotta listen to this then you know i had a few mates at the time that were into that sort of stuff but um in, in my school everyone was listening to the likes of r&b at the time all the chart music stuff about 10 years yeah. 10 years ago and yeah. uh, every single person that played guitar in my school was into indie type stuff like the art of monkeys and stuff i mean yeah fair enough uh, i mean great artists in terms of like they've made success but i thought uh everyone was listening to indie and i thought i want to go in a different direction i want something that's a little bit more uh in your face yeah very, yeah. Uh, very different to what people listen to so i thought yeah. when i listen to the likes of extreme metal and cannibal corpse and the likes of uh bands like nevermore with jeff loomis and it was just it was just totally different but it was te- the technical side of things and the heaviness just really got my attention yeah. Look, Jeff Loomis. Loomis is just, he's, he, in my opinion, very underrated. I mean, guitar players know Loomis, you know, because of his, he's just in, and Chuck from Death and stuff because yes. of the great playing. But they don't ever kind of go out of those circles, do they? Like Loomis is like, he doesn't go out of those circles. No one ever really talks about, it. and he's a superb player. Oh, okay. Superb. Was it? You, was it the guitarists that got you into the the bands? If you know what I mean? Do you like, you know, hey, the guitar, the, the band had a good guitar player. And you kind of okay, I'll check this stuff out, and that kind of backdoored the the band themselves into it. Or was it which way round? Was it was it to the band's first and then listen to the guitarists? Or it was it was mainly when I heard, heard about the guitarists in like uh, guitar magazines or on YouTube. Yeah, when yeah. I heard the likes of uh, Jeff Loomis and mm. likes of uh, Chris Broderick, who used to be in Megadeth, who's now yeah, part yeah, of the yeah. clients. Yeah. When, when, I, when I seen his YouTube video playing guitar when he was doing that um, piano tap, and I, I thought to myself, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah, just, I was just blown away. Yeah, yeah. 
it's funny, isn't it, that some people, some bands are known by their guitar players, um, kind of signify this band. It's interesting that. So when you, so when you kind of, when did you start going to see live music? Then when did that translate there? Surely around sixth form time, you go to see bands. I think it was um well the first ever band that I actually seen live was um Kiss in the Liverpool Echo Arena when it was started. okay but um my cousin who had tickets at the time couldn't go couldn't go see them because he had to he had something else to do so he gave yeah. uh, me and me dad tickets to go see Kiss live yeah. in uh, the Echo Arena and their performance was really tremendous was that the, I, was that the show was that the show do you remember who supported them uh, Taking's on and there was a band as well after that as well there was one before that wasn't it. Um, oh, what are they called? Fucking hell, the name escapes me. Uh, the Verve Pipe. There you go. I'm not too old after all. I, I think I don't, I've seen Kiss a few times. I've seen them at the Liverpool uh, Arena a few times. But I'm pretty sure that was the show. And there's a band called the Verve Pipe. Um, who I, I don't think are particularly great. But there was two things that happened, as I remember. One, the guitarist fell over his amp because he had like a, a, a small 2B12 amp and he fell over it. But yeah. also, at one point, they went, this is for everybody in Liverpool. And you thought that they were going to play, um, they were going to play, oh, no, it must have been Manchester. I, I'm wrong. So, anyway, at this Manchester show, the Verve Pipe support and kiss, trying to get the crowd over, go, um, we're going to play a song for all, for all you local people now. And everybody thought, oh, it's going to be some kind of New Order song or whatever. It may be a Joy Division song. And they um, and they played a Beatles song. <laughs> really fucking booed. Like, yeah, I just remember because <laughs> they supported Kiss. Christ, I can't think how many times I've supported Kiss. Did you like Kiss going into the show? Did you know songs? Uh, I know, I know very few songs at yeah. the time. But I mean, I'm not, I'm not. I wouldn't say that I'm a, like a major fan of Kiss. I mean, a few yeah. songs of them, which I do like, but. Um, in terms of the performance, when I seen them, it was a, uh, it was something. Yeah, else. they're not. Yeah. Well, what's interesting there as well is that it's not Ace Freely on guitar; it's Bruce, uh, Bruce uh, Kulik on on guitar. Then, mm. it's like a, which is an interesting. That's a whole sort of sidebar about being. He's a great player, but he's sitting in a, in Ace Freely's kind of moon boots, like you know, he's not. Yeah. That, you know, that's interesting. So, did you come away from that show going? Fucking hell! Need to see more live shows, or what? Did, what, what was your feelings after? Because if that's your first one, that must have had a pretty big impact, right? Uh, yeah, I felt like that I wanted to see more um, bands live. I mean, I saw a few local bands mm. like around my area that were into like all the metal side of things. But um, students started to like a few years later when I was in university. Like one of the first bands that I seen live was uh, Paradise Lost. They were from yeah, yeah. Where was that? It was uh, in the O2 Academy in uh, Liverpool, and they, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought they were good because when I first, when I heard their album, The Plague Within, it, oh, mm. it was they playing a lot of seven-string drop A material, and it was just unreal. Uh, when I seen them live, I was just mesmerised. I was like, yeah. this, this is this is just like a, a, a whole new level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, what what album was that when what, what they were touring off the back of that you seen? Was it that album? No, it couldn't have been that album. I'm thinking, uh, Draconian Times. Was it about Don't that time? No, it was um, it was a few years back when it was uh, twenty two, I think. Oh, okay. Twenty two, twenty three. So it would have been two thousand fifteen or sixteen. The plague within, because yeah. that was the, I think that was the album that was released at the time. Right, right, yeah. It's because one of the things about about them that they kind of made the crossover. I, I think I feel to maybe sort of the darker metal kind of almost slightly inaccessible. They moved forward and they became like, especially Draconian Times. I thought was a real that was a watershed yeah. thing for them where they were kind of like. Um, they were kind of like had a lot more kind of open. They were everywhere. Seemed like everywhere. They, they were fantastic. The missus was a huge fan and kind of backdoored me into kind of them as well. Yeah. But they, 
they're superb. I don't think I've ever seen them play a bad show as well. Like, so yeah. you, what, what was the first kind of bands then that you were going to go, okay, this is, this is it for me. I need to hear fucking everything they've done. I need to still listen to everything they've done. And you, you could kind of absorb them totally. Who was it? Yeah, the bands, to be fair, it was mainly the guitar. Um, there was Megadeth. Okay. There was, there was Megadeth. There was Nevermore. There yeah. was, there was Cannibal Corpse. There was Animals as Leaders. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Toshin. Yeah, yeah. I was a really massive, huge fan of them. And yeah. Then, a band similar to like the stuff they do called known as Meshuggah. I was really, really yeah, into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I first heard, because when I was I had a seven string guitar at the time, all of a sudden, um, when I heard Meshuggah, they started doing eight string material, and when I seen that, yeah. I listened to it, I thought, okay, I want to get myself an eight string now. And then <laughs> listened to uh, Animals as Leaders and a lot of death core type music. Yeah, just got me into um, like the eight string stuff. Yeah, because like. Um people don't realize that the kind of eight string stuff like the seven string stuff basically i will have will have lost half the audience straight away but like oh it's a guitar podcast this one i'm not listening but there'll be a lot of them going this is fucking ace so the seven string stuff what happened um is that you had like vi- i mean seven string guitars had existed before vi kind of came along they were used in jazz predominantly and then vi yeah. comes along and brings out his the, the gem series and uh, with the monkey grips and the, and the the claw stuff and all that type of thing, and the, the seventh string, oh. and he kind of originally used it, the seventh string, to be um, a, a high string rather than a low string. Um, that was the idea. So we yeah. each high notes. But then new metal came along, and like like Monkey and Corn, uh, and kind of got all these old gems because they fell out of favour almost a little bit. Because it was a time, believe it or not, when Steve Vai was considered hair rock, and, and, <laughs> and people stayed away from. Him. And then they picked up these seven string guitars and instead of using the, the, the high string to replace it, they used the low string so they could get a deeper tone and lower things. And then bands like Meshuggah came along and brought in eight string because why the fuck not? And then brought in, <laughs> the, yeah, then brought in complicated, complicated time signatures. Now what's interesting about Meshuggah is that people often level them as saying, oh, they came up with these kind of complex time signatures and stuff like that. And they are, but even themselves, they admit that it's not necessarily time signature-based complicated writing. They just tried to write almost uh, angular riffs and stuff that was difficult to kind of, you know, was deliberately kind of mechanical. I would argue, in a certain way, the Fear Factory did a similar type of thing, and Dino did with that. Kind of made it sound almost more complicated than it actually is. And Meshuggah, for me, yeah, they were... It took a while to get into the sugar. What was the albums that kind of helped you with, with the sugar? Because they're a difficult thing to get into, aren't they? Yeah, um, I think Chaos Fear was definitely one of the first albums. Yeah, Chaos Fear is probably one of my favourites, yeah. I love it. Like New Millennium, New Millennium Sinai Christ, that album that goes... Da, 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 just that riff in general. It's a simple... I mean, it looks like a simple riff, but when you, when you think about the time and try and play it, it's, it's definitely not. It's... Um, it's, yeah. it is it is technical despite how way simple that it, that it looks but it's just yeah there's a lot of syncopation in what they do yeah yeah it's, it's, you've got to be on the on, on the money with them yeah so then when, when you kind of were listening to this when's the guitar entering is it early on is this you're already playing now or you're up to a competent level or where are you with the guitar when you start to listen to these bands and see the first shows I was a, I was like a, at an intermediate level when I was when I was um, playing. I think it was about eighteen and nineteen at the time. I was just in. Mm. A, I just finished sixth form. I went back. To, uh, went to college again just to improve on my music. Yeah. Like, just to learn about performance and that. But um, listening to it, it was uh, very, just very, just just, extra, just extraordinary in a sense. Just listening to all the like different sounds that they produced because 
of with with the albums with every album i think they've used different amplifiers to try and um create a yeah. type of sound that they want because the very um like all of the early stuff's very uh metallic and influenced and then called 1997 with chaos fear and then the albums beyond what they created it was it was completely different it was like they've gone for their own type of signature signature sound and mm. now comes and when you think about it a lot of metalcore artists and especially deathcore artists in the industry now you yeah. ask them like what's one of the favorite bands or who's like an influence on your music you'll say they'll say um sugar because yeah. a lot of the music standard extended range guitars but it's also the heaviness of them so mm-hmm. i'd say Meshuggah's, yeah. Meshuggah probably could be the godfathers of deathcore in a, in a sense, just with the tangents uh, and all I, the... I definitely uh, think that you, they're at the table, or almost definitely. It's interesting, Deathcore, um, you know, that's quite a broad term, like math and metalcore and stuff. It's it, it, the kind of broad term. So what happened, essentially, uh, dear listeners, is that, you know, we had kind of uh, the, the new wave of British heavy metal. Then that, I've talked about this before, and that kind of sped up with, like, Judas Priest and then moved into Slayer. And then we kind of had this second sort of wave of American metal that came along with the likes of Machine Head and stuff like that that came along and did all a kill switch engaged and it brought this stuff on. And then it kind of really sort of started to fragment and split into all these these kind of industrial metal and kind of all this type of thing. And it was a real fertile ground, certainly for guitar players. A lot of people are like, oh, there's nothing new being done in guitar. And I would totally disagree with that. I mean, like yeah. the same almost as, as leaders and the stuff Toshin's doing is way kind of, in, it's interesting. It's almost, you know, it, it's kind of moving into really kind of new, new ground. When you were playing yourself, was the, was the goal then to emulate what you were hearing then? Were you all kind of a riff guy or were you, were you more of a shredder? Where were you? Funny enough, funny enough when it first started, there was a bit of a, sh- I was more into me shredding. Yeah. And then um, there was this lad in school that I spoke to. And uh, he, he was a bit of an indie type guitarist. I mean, yeah. we, had, we had a little, uh, we had a little sessions and that. And then he said that uh, he he appreciates like the shred side of things, but he was more yeah. into uh, just writing like catchy tunes and stuff. So it got me thinking, mm, I might, do, I might do that myself actually, because even though, even though uh, he's shredding like wasn't his uh, like thing, but hearing, yeah. hearing them say that he wants to like write catchy tunes and catchy riffs, I just be a little bit more memorable. And it made me think, pe- it's what people want and what they look for, mm. really. So we started there uh, doing that in terms of all the drop tune side of things as well. Yeah. Like doing that, but still doing the shredding side of things as well, just learning all the scales and arpeggios. But it was more into the sweet picking side of things when I was watching players like Loomis and Air Rusty Cooley do yeah, it all. Cooley, yeah, that all the, that fluidity of playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the, like um, Michelangelo and stuff like that. Like I was watching him, he does a he did a tribute to, to Dimebag and his playing is just it's super fluid. Phenomenal. You know, super fluid legato and everything, and it just did, did a great player. Did, did when you when you were playing then? When when did you kind of did you move to playing with other people, or was it still playing by yourself? Were you still just a bedroom guitar player? Yes, still uh, st- still in my bedroom at the time. But when I was in college, come uh, come like second or third year, I was playing with, in groups and different bands and stuff. And then uh, when it came to university, I was. I was a bit of an advanced player then. I started playing in uh, groups in uni, but they weren't really into the same stuff as yeah. I was. They were all, all into the pop. They were all into the indie, so yeah. uh, I had to branch out and look for uh, different people to play with. I mean, I played with some people, played with some uh, guitarists, uh, yeah. bassists and drummers in um, Bolton Studios and Craft Studios, but... Yeah, I never opened, yeah. They had their own, uh, I think everyone, I mean, we could have continued it, but everyone had their own little commitments, so uh, like they had to part ways, which was just unfortunate, but I got. I managed to get into one of my friends' band at the time. There was a bassist yeah. called uh, Riptide. 
still going now, but I think they've, uh, Riptide, yeah. Riptide. Are they Riptide Messiah now? Yeah, Riptide Messiah, yeah. I was um Yeah, 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 I got you. So like, one of the things that maybe uh, the, maybe the, the listeners aren't aware of is is that did you Seamus or Shake it can play, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, um and the guitarist listener as well. Uh, occasionally and this is what we, we kinda I, I realised he, he he's a metalhead. Is that he, he's been putting up videos of you playing because he's been fucking in lockdown. Um, <laughs> shake and play, ladies and gentlemen. Um, he's got the uh, he's got the magic fingers. Shake and play. Uh, <laughs> he's yeah more than intermediate, more than intermediate. Yeah. So when did you? What? what uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing. When, 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 when people were were back in the day when when kind of shredding and and being technically proficient at your instruments was kind of um, almost frowned upon. So it was an, a million and one bedroom guitarists. And yep. what kind of happened was that YouTube and things like now where you can Skype other people and you can record stuff and send it to someone else and they can put drums on or whatever it may be. Yep. And it kind of grew in the dark, that whole thing. So then people were like, this is actually a whole genre of music, this kind of technical playing and stuff and this advanced playing. And then it kind of broke out. So you get like someone like Pelini, who I always talk about, or Animals as Leaders, or those type of players, who suddenly people actually go, I'd like to see this in a live context, let's get a band together. So what happened is, instead of it kind of dying in someone's bedroom or home, it kind yeah. of became this gestation period, and it just mm. exploded now, where people go, okay, well, I've seen the YouTube video of that guy playing really well. I want to see that live. I think that's fascinating to me, that that kind of... It kind of survived. It kind of stayed as a niche, but mm. kind of somehow kind of survived and broken out. So anyone to think about it now that it occurs to me that 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 was exactly what happened, you know? Yeah, just out, um, just just expanded along the way. The way it's um, like YouTube, YouTube was YouTube spread out. But the best part, like the interesting part of it is, since these artists have been doing it for over ten years, like Tosin Abbasi, yeah. uh, like Samisha Mansour from Periphery, and uh, yeah. all the angling Keith Marrow on YouTube, which I'm a huge fan of. I watched the. Uh, I tend to watch the videos a lot. Like yeah. they've over time they've, got, they've built a built an audience, and they've they've got their own like uh, endorsements such as solo guitars. They've got Shaq there. Yeah, they've got like, the whole. Like they've, they've got guitar endorsements. Toshi's got his own his own guitar range, like which yeah. is fabulous. You know, yeah. so I mean, for me, it reminds me of back in the day when um, when they released for, for for anybody who wasn't aware of this when they first released um, the thing, John Carpenter's mm-hmm. the thing. It was really badly received at the cinema. No one really went to see it at the cinema. Mm. And then it kind of came out on VHS cassettes for the yeah. for the younger people out there. There was a video cassette you used to be able to buy and put into a machine. Yeah. People bought that on VHS and it found its audience because people were like, oh, this is, this shit's amazing. And they tape traded and whatever. Yeah. And it yeah. found its audience and became the thing, John Carpenter's the thing that was, as we know, it loved now, it's mm. considered a masterpiece and rightly so. But that's the same thing that happened with like shredding guitar. It kind of found its audience. It mm. took a while. It took a good, yeah. the best part of the nineties and uh, to, to, to do happen. But it found its audience. Talking about films. Good. This is the segue there. How professional is that? Like <laughs> one, of things, one of the reasons that uh, we we initially met is Shay was doing a project, and we'll talk about that in a, in a second. And I kind of applied and auditioned to be on 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 his kind of project. And we'll get into to, to that a little bit in a, in a, in a moment. But um, Shay does, uh, when we talk a number of hats, there's quite a few under the umbrella of filmmaking. So things like producing, directing, acting. So where did film kind of come in into your life? Was it before or along the same time as metal and metal music? Where did it come from? It was around, it was around there in like an earlier time. 
funny enough, mm. like start getting in, I started getting into acting at a very young age when I was eleven. Mm. And uh, uh at first at first began with Harry Potter, just work looking at it, like looking at the film itself and the uh, behind the scenes and stuff, but as I grew older I watched uh, the Punish like the first Punisher film in two thousand. Oh, oh, which which one which one? Which ooh, one? Ooh, um, <laughs> so uh, are we talking was, the Dolph Lundgren one? Or are we um, talking Thomas Jane, Thomas Jane. Okay, so you, you 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 know there's one before that, right? Tell me you know there's one before that. <laughs> Definitely it's was the, one before that. It's the one before that. It's the in the eighties with Dolph Lundgren and yeah. uh, Lou Gossett Jr. Lou and Jr. it's it's I think it's I think it's magnificent in its awfulness. I'm a huge Punisher fan, um, yeah. but it's visually it's it's be- it looks like the Punisher. That's yeah. the only link it has. The Tom Jane one, I agree. And I would say, have you seen Dirty Laundry as well? Oh, the fan, the fan film, yeah. That's, that's the that's best really Punisher cool. film. That was good. That that's was really the best good. one, yeah. Um, so you kind of were watching these things, and did you think, right, okay, I'm, I, I really want to kind of move into acting. I really kind of want to be an actor. Yeah. Um, it was also alongside, like, watching The Punisher, like Tom's yeah. Jane, Tom Jane's version of The Punisher, the way he portrayed the character. Yeah. It was also the likes of um, seeing Ben Affleck as Daredevil. And I thought, okay. Uh, he was so, did you badass. like Ben Affleck as Daredevil? Because a lot of people were happy with him, weren't he? I think. Um, I don't think it was primarily his fault. It was just mainly the um, film itself or the directors. Really, yeah. I mean, I'm a huge Ben Affleck fan. He's yeah. my favorite actor. But yeah. um, I mean, it's, it could it could have been improved, it could have been done. But I thought he was a pretty good Daredevil. I thought he was pretty good. Like, I mean, Ke- apparently Kevin Smith got it was one of the reasons they depicted him, wasn't it? Kevin Smith actually said, "If you're going to do." Matt Murdock, you got to get Ben Affleck as 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 the guy, like you know, and it's, yeah. that's that that's it. It seems like a lot of people got down on that film, like, and I thought I I thought it was pretty good, like you know, I I, I enjoyed it. So then, what were your first kind of sort of steps into into acting, and how did you start? Because a lot of people out there will be listening to this and going, "Well, I'd like to be an actor." Mm. I've been asked the question myself. I'd like to be an actor. What what is even the first step? Like the first step, like when I, when I first started doing it, was basically um, I was in a, f- a few school plays, then and then um, I continued doing it. When I moved on to university, I did my degree there in terms of, like the drama side of things. But what did you do your degree in? Uh, it was it was based drama and music, as I like to call yeah. it. But it was known as um, creative performing arts, and was at the Liverpool Hope University. Okay. But um, it didn't really. It was part of the course was interesting, but it wasn't really um, like acting in the film it was basically acting about talking about performance artists and some of the um extreme stunts that they do but a lot okay. of the artists that were mentioned all these performance artists that were mentioned in the cpa letter is very uh near the knuckle like some of the performances that they do were pretty controversial but mm. i got i got i got i got a few ideas and a few bits from uh, doing that course in terms of like the acting side of things started to just just to take it into my own um just my own way but after it after i graduated i went on to Sites like Star Now and started applying there, and I did my first ever student film with the Edge Hill University. Right. So, so was that first film kind of? Were you just acting, or you were doing multiple roles, or what were you doing with that? I was active. I was, uh, okay. was like my first act, acting, um, like acting on film in terms of a short film. I was playing yeah. a, I was playing a lecturer who tries to get with this sixteen-year-old uh, girl. Basically, okay. he's, a bit, he's a bit of. A, wouldn't say he's a predator, like he kind of yeah. is a predator, but yeah. he's he's based, he's a bit of a sociopath, and uh, he tries right. to control her, tries to manipulate her, drives away from her friends and family, and uh, he just played that type, just playing that uh, type of character, really. Did you find? Did you find like, uh, or do you find him like me that you, you almost get typecast because of the way you look as well? See, Shay's a big lad, 
and he's and he looks hard, probably because he is hard, <laughs> but he looks he's a big lad like and I'm sure you get you must have they must have been like, We need this fucking villainous fucking lecture guy. <laughs> they were like, We've got to get this guy, we've got to get this guy. How did you find when you first were on a set and being under and being filmed? What what did that feel like? Because for me it was fucking really weird. Yeah. Really yeah. weird. It was it was very strange in, in comparison to um just acting on acting on stage. Yeah. But it, it, it was interesting at the same time, but I mean with 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 filming you can do so many takes, you can just do the same Yeah times, but you just pass you just plow through. But mm. with theatre, it's gotta be on the spot. Once once yeah. you do it, you do it. You can't go back, you can't you've just gotta nail it. Yeah. But um yeah. I prefer the film side of things. It's just it, you, you see it, 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 for me it just creates more energy for the character and it's for the audience people can recognize you then like fully recognize your character what you bring to life on the screen yeah it's like, definitely it's definitely i haven't done any stage acting yet i'd like to because it seems like it's kind of the uh the the the, the you do almost the, the high technical side of filmmaking mm-hmm. is you know if you've got uh you're going to do it in one shot if you will and if you're going to do it in one take and you've got to do it, particularly if you've got to do a monologue or whatever it may be. I think it's, I'm very impressed by people. Like I, said, I was watching 12 Angry Men a couple of days ago, and apparently there's been stage productions of that, and it's done in one take. And I'm like, yeah. that's fucking, that's fucking mental. That is like, so did you have, did you have many lines? Did you kind of, was it, was it, was it acting? Was it, was it a lot of vocalizations or how much screen time did you have? It had quite a bit of, um, it was about, I'd say the film was about 20 minutes, but we had to yeah. go to different locations and branch out. Yeah. Like, we had to do a scene there, we had to do a scene in the kitchen, then we had to do a scene in the living room, but I had to repeat, take, they had to do so many takes because they were trying to set up the equipment, they were trying to get different angles, yeah. so tr- trying to say the same lines again. I remember it's, one scene... Go on, sorry. I remember one scene where I had to, where it was standing next to the actress that I was working with, I had to, I had to do a scene where I was making coffee and making toast and, and when we messed that up a few times, I mean, the funny part of it is we wasted, we wasted like each slice of bread doing it. <laughs> then we have to go back to the shop and get more bread just to have it in the scene. It was mad. There's an enormous amount of parallels between being in a, a working band and being in a working actor. Like, so there's a lot of emphasis on traveling and getting everywhere. There's yeah. also an emphasis on how long things take to set up. And if you've got the right equipment, who's got gaffer tape? Who's got this? Who's got that? There's mm. the, the thing people don't realize about if, they, if they've never been in a filmmaking environment is the amount of things that you didn't think about, like yeah. lights, think about high kind of every, and you think of something like that's something as simple. I was doing a scene. Yeah. And the, the reason I couldn't do a chase project, I was, I was on a, doing another thing when mm. I had to smoke in a scene. Yeah. Yeah. And I went through like maybe three packs of cigarettes. Fucking hell. <laughs> I, being the me- I, I, I'm I'm that I'm that dickhead who's I I see myself as a total method actor if I can do it for real I'm pretty much yeah. going to do it for real and it's really just a lie it's because I'm not a very good actor I say I'm a method actor it's because I can't make out that I'm doing that but we have yeah. to go through like a three four packs of cigarettes to kind of do it and there's oh. there's, there's a weird thing on on set of a of of this camaraderie of all like let's just get let's just make it work whatever you and I'm betting that happens at the highest level. I've been on a studio production before, and it happens on that level where people are like, "Fuck, we need to do this." It's still there's still an element of kind of tightrope walking, and God, what the pressure that must exist on like a a three hundred million dollar film must be fucking enormous, enormous. So when 
you, when you were start acting, did you kind of look at you? Were you looking at the way people are setting up and thinking, I know how this should be set up, or I've got a good idea how this should be filmed and stuff? Did you kind of get a bit of an insight into behind the curtain is what I'm saying? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, yeah. I looked at some of the equipment that was used, like in some scenes, like using using certain lights, like different colour lights on a certain scene for a certain character, just to give him more, uh, more of a look, more, yeah. of a, more, of a, um, more of an insight. And uh, I was just looking at different cameras that I wanted to invest in, like a Blackmagic pocket cinema camera. Mm. Like, looking at the quality of them, like, I wanted me, um, me film to be, like, high quality in terms of, like, cinematic quality. So I was just yeah. going to go for that, just basically looking towards, like, the pro- professional side of things, in a sense. Yeah. Just trying to bring it to life. So when you were looking at, like, you use, like, Star Now, what other apps did you did you say you used as well? Um, it was it was mainly just using Star Now. I used face, some yeah. of the Facebook groups, the Facebook um, groups in terms of the acting, like uh, Liverpool yeah. Actors page or Liverpool Creating Performers. I mean, you put you put a few posts on there, and sometimes uh, some people agree, some people disagree, and then they'll argue the toss with you, saying, no, you shouldn't do this. What I'm saying, oh, I mean, it gets a bit, <laughs> what, it gets a bit yeah. of... Uh, one of the things you find, um, ladies and gentlemen, especially those interested in getting into the film industry uh, or, or movie making, is it's a, it's a massive hustle, uh, even more so than the music business, I would say, uh, because everybody thinks they can act. Now, I think I can act. I reckon I've got a tiny thimble full of talent. You can do it. You James, James, James can act. And, and even then, even if he's good and he's av- available and reliable, there's still this massive hustle where you have to get, to, get in contact with this person, get in contact with that person. And it's a massive kind of crazy hustle that's out there. Um, and it never stops, does it? It doesn't matter. It's not as even if I, I imagine even actors are, you know, to with agencies and stuff still have problems and still find it. It's just a massive hustle. Do you listen to Scroobius Pip's um, podcast at all? I, rem- I remember Scroobius Pip. I know that he's... Um, the reason I mention it, the reason I mention it is because he's um, he's an actor as well. And he's like got, like he's a very successful podcaster. Yeah. And he acts as well. And he's been in, in studio productions, you know, with, with, with recognized artists like Tom Hardy and stuff and what have you. And even he finds it hard. And I'm like, fucking hell. If he finds it hard. And so the whole thing's a massive hustle. Um, and you find that when you go on groups, there's there's a lot of people say you're pissed off about this and complain about that. It's really, really tough, isn't it? It's really, yeah, really challenging. It's, it's difficult. I mean, a lot of it, um, I mean, you get a lot of negativity on those type of pages as well. They'll criticize you. They'll say this. They'll say that. But... A lot of people, then you get some yeah. people who have a bit of positivity and will agree to do your project or help you on your project. I mean, because I feel like that's what you need. You need a bit of positivity around it. But yeah. as for the other people that tend to give a lot of negativity or try and argue with you, you just tend to um, block them or just ignore them. Just like like, like, like most things yeah. in life, especially I talk to a lot of people on tour and I say it, the, the key thing is being able to work with other people. Yeah. You know, you definitely uh, you know, kind of help them out and not be the knobhead, not be the knobhead. Do you know what I mean? Try and do, you know, the amount of times I've done, I've done stuff from projects where people have gone, well, I don't do that. It's like, look, today you do, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't use, I don't, I'm not a boom operator. Today mm. you are, because today's about getting the job fucking done. Like, you know, that's, it. that's, that's a massive, that's it, one of the things that I found useful, every set I've ever been on is I want to be the guy that was like, I can do that or I know how to do that or mm. yes. I'd never be the guy that's like, fuck, I'm not doing that or don't want. I'll give you an example. So on the same production that I was on, yeah. they were asking people to be barefoot. Mm. And um, a lot of people said they wouldn't do it. And I was, I'm always, yes. I'm always like, I'll do it. No problem. Yeah. He was like, well, it's going to be dead cold and wet. And I was like, I'll do it. 
because of that, it gets me screen time because like we need the guy with with the, with with no shoes on. He's also yep. smoking as well. You know, just be the guy that says yes. I can't accentuate enough, ladies and gentlemen, to anybody willing to get into the acting game. For as much as I know, being the guy that says yes and able to do stuff is incredibly important. You know. You definitely have got to do it regardless. I mean, it's, they're giving you the chance and like an opportunity and it's definitely one to take regardless of the situation. So what was the last thing you acted on then? And the last thing that I acted on was uh, a film with the Agile students, like a third year film. I was I was co-starring alongside with an actress known in Liv- uh, around Liverpool. She was in yeah. a, she just recently in the part of Rock Pantomime and I was acting with her. And uh, I was playing the, I was playing the husband who was looking after her. She had yeah. like her character had mental health problems. Yeah. Like uh, she, she had, she had difficulty sleeping, and I was basically the one that cared for her. And then yeah. uh, next morning, she wakes up in the bathroom, and then my character is laying on the floor, dead with a pale look on his face. There's blood on the walls. So I had to, uh, I had to, I had to lie down for about a good, a good hour on the floor, but I, but I had to lean against the bathroom uh, wall. And worst yeah. part was, uh, my ass was. Just, it was cold on the floor. I, cut, I had to. I was dying. I was dying to say, "Can somebody get me a cushion?" I had to. Yeah. Oh, You're just gonna soak it up, man. Yeah, you yeah. just get it I done. Just, I, I just had to. That's it. I just had to get it done. Mm. I mean, it was. It was painful afterwards, but it was worth it. But uh, yeah. that's some of the things you got to take and you've got to yeah. do. Yeah. The, the one thing I th- I'm thankful of is that when I when I started out uh, about three or four years ago, there's there an incredible. Um, a uni community of students for do filmmakers there's a it's a massive sort of hub for them i must have done so many student films and so many students and a lot of people frown on that they're like well it's not like you, you're not acting in the next parts of the caribbean it's like no you're not but that you're missing the point it's a chance to hone what you're doing learn how to do stuff and kind of how things work and the problems that happen so when mm. you do go to scale up to a studio production or beyond yeah. You, you you have all these skills it's not to be avoided it's not to be it's to be embraced like you know i i'm thankful that there's a student community in fact because of two of the studio films that i uh, the two student films i did yeah that helped me get the the thing that i'm going to be on with netflix that helped mm-hmm. that because they saw that and they were like and i work with these students who went on to become runners and yeah. and, and ad's and, and and that type of thing and that it's and and then you people you forget about you work with you do a good job with we, everybody gets on they call you a year down the line and are like you know oh we think you're great for this and good for that just a classic example of being good to work with and not being a dickhead will yeah. pay dividends like you know oh, so when did, when did you move to kind of producing and stuff and thinking i want to make my own stuff here now i want to kind of produce my own material it kind of it kind of started when it was um i mean i'm a huge batman fan like i've always been I've always been into Batman since a young age. Yeah. I um like my favorite when when I seen Ben Affleck's performance of Batman, like his persona of the Bruce Wayne. He was very yeah. uh, he was very dark. He was very gritty, mm. and uh, the, the way he was as about like the Batman character himself. It kind of yeah. inspired me to write my own type of fan film. But it was watching the likes of you know Wyatt Weed's his adaptation to Dark Knight Returns on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, a huge. Cute- yeah, I'm a huge fan of like the the the, the animated versions as well. Um, yeah. That they, 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 we talked about that, like, because uh, just so everybody is aware. So back 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 when, um, I uh, I applied, I auditioned for, for Shay to be uh, in his in his production. He's kind of working on now, which is a fan made um, Batman Batman film, yeah. Batman film, which is yeah. pretty big. That's a pretty big sort of thing to shoot for. 
and we worked i think we did we did some fight scenes and we did some bits and pieces mm. and when he was filming I, I and i have never had to do this before i had a call to do something else over several weeks and yeah. i couldn't do the other things now um we you uh, fantastic the fantastic actor tony tony egan you brought in yeah, as well tony he's going to yeah. do a great job he's going to do a great job yeah so when you were kind of sitting there you were like going okay i can do my own my own film of this um so the slant that you put on it's probably better you explain it but you kind of chose a slightly different slant to inco- incorporate liverpool as well yeah i wanted to i wanted to go for a different touch on the story really a different approach it was because Bruce Wayne's been done in the media so many times. He's been done on like different adaptions of the Batman. I thought I'd go with a uh, John Paul Valley instead. He was from the Batman Nightfall comics. He was yeah. originally he was Bruce Wayne's apprentice, but then when Bruce Wayne gets his back broken by Bane, John Paul Valley takes up the mantle, and then he becomes his own version of the Batman. And later on, he becomes a bit a little bit more twisted and sinister. I just wanted to go for that type of vibe for this one. But yeah. being in Liverpool, I thought it'd be like an interesting concept because. Liverpool's um, Liverpool's like one of the, one of the biggest biggest known cities in the world in terms of the culture, the Beatles, and some uh, some of the film locations it's used on there. Yeah, very it's, um, it's 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 very similar in terms of Gotham being like port city. So I wanted to try and create that connection That's between the two. Yeah, people don't realise uh, that Gotham is a port city. It's 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 mirrored to like to a certain degree on New York and yeah. port cities. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And plus the gang, the gang life in the gang life in Gotham, like in Gotham, I could say that it's very yes, similar to the gang life in Liverpool. I mean, there's probably leaders in there, leaders in Liverpool cities, in the city that that, get, that there's gangs and there. Uh, I just wanted to try and create that connection, and I thought that while writing this story, I thought to create my own type of a uh, villainous character, and I thought to go with the name Snake because mm. one, it's sinister; two, it's a name that people could remember for the character as well, and it'll be like. Oh, Snake. Oh, yeah. I know who he is. I've heard of him. I you know, I did. I did in re, in researching for the role. I, yeah. I just to to, to to catch everybody up. I um. I, so I auditioned for the role of uh, of Snake and a couple of other characters as well. I think. And I was researching the role, and I think there is a character in the DC universe called Snake. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's like a villain guy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, I managed to find him, and I kind of um, when we met, me me and Shay immediately got on. Uh, because I think I understood kind of what he was what he was trying to do uh, with, with the role, but it was um, I found it was in, you, you had a really interesting take on it, and I thought that you know considering as well this is this is low budget filmmaking at its absolute finest, mm. but I think I saw some of the um, not so much dailies, but you've put up a couple of trailers if you will and kind of teasers for what you've been doing. I thought you used the uh, the, the city landscape really well with that, so. Which where are we kind of with the production of that then? Where what what stage are we at here? Well, obviously it's locked down now. In terms of the production, um, I'll talk about like what what happened previously. Yes. We were working with this student lad who was a director, but um, or he was getting into directing. We did a few yeah. scenes with him and stuff, but um, a lot of the actors weren't available, and he had to <laughs> kept going back and forth back to his uh, hometown. Yeah. And then he decided to pull an professional move on me and the um, me and the other actors as well. And I thought, uh, I'm I'm disappointed. You made it. What a what a slight thing to do. So yeah. then I had to get a new team on board, like a new professional team on board. And Tony Egan's now directing and playing Snake. And we've got a cameraman, and we're doing a lot better than we did last time. What people what people need to realise as well is these these stories aren't unknown. Mm. Anybody that's doing low budget or independent film will know that you constantly 
battling against things. You're constantly battling against things. And some people will say, yeah, say people, sometimes people say they can do this and they can do that. You're constantly rescheduling, constantly changing location. It's That's not unusual. Like, Jay's situation isn't unusual. You have people who, who do stuff, there's some professional stuff. And that's, I think, well, probably what happens, I think, I certainly have, I think with the great directors like Spielberg and stuff who have mm. many, many productions, they keep the same people because they've gone through all the shit. I'm pretty sure they've had people that have worked with them, you know, camera operators, effects guys, all that type of thing. And they've slowly whittled it down to a team that's great, that works. And now Nolan's probably done that as well. He's probably made a ton of independent stuff and low level. Mm. Level stuff dependent scene, but yeah. it just means that you have to be very tenacious. Someone like Kevin's very little money, you have to be tenacious and go. I have my, my vision, my strength of vision must carry out and must do to be to we get to the end of this now. And That's you it. will have to change directors and change, you know, camera people and, and all that to make it's not it's not unusual at all. So, are you at the point now where you have to you're going to have to totally start refilming, or is there stuff that you can use, or where are we at? Um, at the moment, we've done quite a few scenes. We've got about 15 scenes boxed off when we uh, with, with the new new uh, crew on board. Yeah. But at the moment, we're I'm just planning out when we can do it. But due, mm. due, to, due to the current situation, I've just just buying um, equipment for equipment like the film, such as props, like props that we that I can include in this scene for my character mm. and like for the various other characters as well. It's just like planning out and they're uh, prepping what I can do, and they're uh, just basically trying to find what days would be suitable for the actors to uh, come along and um, do their scenes really but yeah i don't know how long it's gonna don't know how long this uh, pandemic's gonna take but it definitely mm-hmm. will be um, so for, for, for the listeners here as well if there are batman fa- fans shay has the cowl don't you oh yeah yeah you, so i don't i don't know if i'm giving too much away in the movie there but yeah <laughs> you have that already don't you and it's yeah. pretty fucking decent what was that like putting the cowl on <laughs> Like, it felt like it felt like being Batman. Like it was, it was actually Batman. To be fair, <laughs> yeah, I love it. It, it was. It, it, it felt good. It felt like it was a totally different person. It felt. Um, mm. it, it, felt it felt powerful. It felt. Um, it felt like. I felt like I could yeah, climb up buildings and jump over buildings as well. Yeah. Nah, I'm all joking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what, as a little sidebar, because um, I had this conversation with another friend of mine about Batman, because mm. uh, this could be Batman centric. This podcast totally. Um, yeah. Let's put in order. Who do you who before we get to your favorite Batman, which I think we can pretty much guess who it is. Let's give right. give me your top five in reverse order. So number five to one, who who your uh, your your best your best Batman were Ooh. on film or otherwise. So are we going? For, so I take it fifth is uh, the least and first is yeah, best. Yeah, 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 first to best. Oh, okay, so five. Uh, number five. Number five. Adam West. No, okay. actually, no. Nah, number five, George Clooney. Okay, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Number f- number four, Adam. Adam West. Um, yeah. Sixties. Yeah, number four, Adam West. Um, number three, Ooh. Christian Bale. Okay. Um, number two, Kevin Porter. I think he's really good. He's he's the That's actor who plays. Yeah. He's the actor who plays Batman in the um. Do you know the Batman Bat, Bat in the Sun Productions on YouTube? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an interesting choice. Yeah, he's he's he's, he's really tremendous at playing the role as him. <laughs> and number one, it's Ben Affleck for me. Yeah, he's your yeah. boy. He's your Batman. It's funny. I think a lot of people's Batman is the one they grew up with. Like the same for Bond. 
It's like yeah. what you grew up with. That's your Bond. That's your Batman. So for me, like Keaton does, he does get in the top five for me. You know what I mean? Because that was the one, you know, that was the Batman I saw. That was the yeah. one. I, you know, obviously, you know, yours is yours is half. Like that's interesting. Like so, here's a sidebar as well. The, they were filming the new Batman film in, in Liverpool. Liverpool with yeah. Rob Patterson. I went right. past their name set a couple of times as well. Yeah. St. George's Hall. I seen it. I seen it like a security fence. Like yeah. a scanner saying um, Gotham Police Department, even if, even if it was bad, even yeah. when it was barricaded. A lot yeah. of the uh, signs were saying Gotham Police Department. So it was like, ooh, sad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, I would uh, to get some pictures of that, like, and thinking yeah. that you know, it's like, fuck them, you know. I was. I, I still may be. I might be. I might even be on that. I might even be on that. Like, yeah, doing some mm. bits and pieces. That that'd be nice. Tony so, Egan's on that as well. Um, yeah, he's yeah. About it, so you might bump bump into him. Yeah, when he's I want to. I'm kind of learning a lot of a lot of the people that are turning up. We're seeing the same sort of faces, which which is ace. So, in with the with the world witnessing, and everybody listening to the podcast, I know I'm I'm not snake no more, and that that's cool. But because we've had time to 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 to, to think about, it, I will in some way be on camera for for Shay. I will turn up and do even if the guy just gets his face punched at the beginning <laughs> or whatever. I will be on that production, Shay. I'll be back. I'll show you that. Definitely will. Definitely will. and action and that type of thing. What have you got planned now? What are you looking at? Um, I'm just looking at thinking of. I'm still still definitely going to continue the acting side of things. I'm going to um, yeah. go into the likes of Casting Collective and try and get an agent and try and look for like extra work there, like more mm. acting work because I'm kind of yeah. done. With, I'm kind of done with the student films now. I've done so many and I've got a show reel and I want to try and uh, move on and advance. Let mm. the show reel for, the, for those that aren't aware. The show reel is exactly what you think it is. It is basically a load of pictures, images, clips of you doing your best work. Ideally, in a multiple of a variety of characters and, and situations, so people can see kind of what you do, and then they can look at it and go, "Okay, this person is ready for the role." It's a calling card, if you will, and it's incredibly important to work work on that. So now you kind of uh, what is there any thought of kind of mixing? metal with what you're doing with that um funny enough i was thinking because acting and music work hand in hand it's technically the, it's kind of technically the same industry um i'm thinking of like doing um like metal covers on youtube really thinking of doing like my own youtube okay. account as well as showing the acting side of things but doing the music side of things similar to the yeah. likes of uh, youtubers like all england keith meadow andrew Boehner, ryan ryan fluff bruce and yeah. uh steve terry buddy like the likes of them, really, was thinking to do next for the music side of things as well. Yeah, so because it makes sense. Like, so there's probably before we kind of finish up here, if someone wants to contact you for uh, to to for doing acting or to get you on their on their particular show or whatever it may be, how yeah. do they get in touch with you? Do you have a do you have an address that you can get in touch with? I'll link some stuff uh, in the podcast. Probably say the easiest uh, the easiest way to contact me would probably be me uh, email. Mm. And uh, my Instagram page. I tend to use that. I tend to use uh, my Instagram page the most, more than sure. more than I tend to use Facebook. If I was if I was a metal band and mm. I wanted someone to film a video, would it, would I come to you? Would you be open to doing that? Yeah, I'd be definitely open to do that. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I think there's going to be a lot of metal bands out there who love doing videos. Certainly, when we come out of this pandemic and this lockdown, we can certainly sort of get some some videos. I think uh, 
Shay'd be really, really good to have as I think uh, as a director because he understands not only the medium but understands the music as well. Like I think that'd be really powerful combinations. But I definitely think you should do that. I think that'd be fantastic. I've also got, I've also got a friend who's uh, been in the music industry for a lot of years as well. But he's also a guitar tech. He's worked with okay. bands such as the Farm and the Vile Assembly. Like he's their, yeah. he's their main guitar tech, so he's got a lot of experience in the music sure. industry as well. He's definitely yeah. worth uh, contacting as well. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Well, I, as always with the, with this show, it's nice to talk to people kind of all over the place, like you know, which is fantastic. But listen, thanks for sitting down with us, Shay. We've gone nearly an Thanks, hour. That was easy. <laughs> but it wasn't too bad. So yeah, That'd ladies and gentlemen, uh, Shay McGowan, fantastic. So there you go. That was uh, Shay McGowan. A really good conversation with him. I really just it's really talk, good when you talk to other people and they pick apart a, a band name and you realise you haven't heard them in ages. And Meshuggah's a really good example of that where he kind of mentions them. And you're like, fuck, I haven't heard this band in ages. Like, so you go back and listen to them. I love that when that happens. It's 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 one of the awesome parts of talking about metal and talking about music is people kind of remind you of bands or even suggest bands you've never heard of and you go and you go away and listen to them. I think that's that's awesome. Thanks for listening to the show. As always, I've been asked to, to come on a few other people's shows and streams and and, and live chats and, and what have you. And, it, and and that's I'm humbled by that. I think it's fantastic. So if it is something you you want me to 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 go on, contact the show. And if you need someone to talk and and ramble on endlessly about metal, then you know please feel free to contact me, and I can be on your show. Like I'm saying, commenting, subscribing. I hate that type of stuff, but it's the only way we're going to beat the algorithm. It's the only way we're kind of going to get people to listen to the show who you think will enjoy it as well. And that's really all I ask is if you're enjoying it, please kind of have activity about that and, you know, suggest it to your friends and suggest it to other people. And then we can get more people to listen to this and hopefully the show will, will, will improve. It certainly needs to improve, like, you know, um, and anything you can do to make that happen. And it, it's, it's all from communication with, with you, the, the listener, then it, all, all the better for it. Once again, if you keep with us, we will get to a show at some point and I will see you at it.